The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. This is the day that the Lord has made. Really grateful to gather together and rejoice in it together. For those of you who are uh, joining us online, we're grateful to have you as well. And of course, across all of our campuses, it's awesome to be together today. Last week, we talked about our purpose statement, specifically what we do as a church, which is bringing gospel renewal wherever we go. And I talked about the fact that Paul gives this finishing move, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when he says that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I also found out something about our church. I found out that many of you share my love or used to share my love for wrestling. And I got a lot of feedback on that this week of every illustration I used last week. That was the one I heard the most about. A lot of enthusiasm for wrestling in our church. And um, I received a picture this week from someone who uh, grew up watching wrestling like I did. And uh, it's appropriate for what happened this past week. So I thought I'd begin by sharing it with you, this, this, um, yeah. Right? I heard a woo back there. So um, Tom Brady still has a long way to go to reach the real goat. We have 11 championships more, so. In 1962, we had a young president who declared the year before in front of Congress that he wanted our country to go to the moon. Not because it was easy, but because it was difficult. And the year after, in 1962, he made a visit to what was then Cape Canaveral Air, Air Force Station. It would later be named the Kennedy Air, uh, Space Station. And in 1962, he toured that facility and walked all around. You can go back and look at some of the pictures. And as he walked around, he had the same greeting to each person that he, that he met there. So many staff people and people that were working on the space uh, project to put a man on the moon. And he would say the same thing as he walked around greeting people. He would shake their hand and say, I'm Jack Kennedy. What is it that you do here? And uh, throughout the day, he heard all kinds of different answers. Uh, I'm a driver. Uh, I'm a pilot. I'm one of the various engineers. I'm a secretary. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an administrator. And then he came across a man who was sweeping the floors, obviously a, a custodian working there. And he went up to that man and, and gave the same greeting. My name is Jack Kennedy, as if he needed to introduce himself. And he asked him the question, what is it that you do here? But the answer that he got back from that man was very different, very surprising, and an answer that I hope all of you remember. He said, my name is, and he gave his name. And he said, I'm here to help put a man on the moon. I love that story because in a world that elevates individualism and says that you are what you do, we see in that simple answer, I'm working to put a man on the moon, the power of togetherness and working on a common mission. We see that, that mission actually matters most, even above my own individualism or a certain task. And we've been in a series as a church entitled This Is Us, talking about our common mission together as one church. And this unique opportunity of bringing two expressions, two churches together to form one new church for the glory of God and the continuance of his mission here on the earth. 
we opened up the series by talking about open hands. And Jimmy and Susie Callum talked from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and uh, Hebrews chapter 12 about the importance of finishing our race and, and walking with open hands, being able to receive from God and give to others what's been given to us. And then we talked about the phrase, only God, that we wanted to be a church that believes and trusts things and prays for things that only God can do. Paul's wonderful prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that begins, now to him who is able that we would pray those kinds of prayers together. Prayers that are beyond our own capacity and capabilities, but with God, nothing is impossible. And I've loved over the last month and a half through this series, seeing different places where you've put your prayer cards, your only God Ephesians 3 cards, all across your house and in your places of work, and that's such an encouragement to me. We talked about purpose over preference. You remember that one? about choosing God's great purpose over our individual preferences. And we said that preferences aren't in and of themselves oftentimes right or wrong, they just are. But God's purposes always have to be elevated above our preferences. And we talked about the fact that that journey is like walking up a down escalator, isn't it? If we don't actively every single day put God's purposes over our preferences, we'll find ourselves on the wrong side of that. And we'll find ourselves uh, being led by our own desires and preferences instead of God's great purposes. We looked at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and Paul's word to his young protege, Timothy, when he said, By the power of the Holy Spirit, Timothy, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. That God is trusting us with his great gospel to steward it well. And then we entered into a section in this series on our purpose, to be a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. And we talked about the fact that purpose answers the question why when we look at it together. Why do we exist? And we broke it down in three different ways. We talked about who we are, a community of Christ followers, and we looked at Jesus' new commandment that he gave to his disciples in John chapter 13 when he said, this new commandment I give you that you love one another in the same way that you've been loved. And by this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we talked about the importance of community together and living that out as a, as a people of God together and sharing the journey with one another. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible that I shared with you is Philippians 4, 14. You know, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But look at verse 14. Paul says, yet it was really kind of you to share in my troubles. We need one another. We are a community of Christ followers. It's a wonderful gift that God has given to us. If he is our father, what does that make us to each other? Brothers and sisters, the family of God. That's who we are. Last week we talked about what we do together as a community, that we are about bringing gospel renewal wherever we go. That verb of going out and bringing gospel renewal into our, into our city and into our world, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into every single relationship, we want to we wanna bring gospel renewal. And, and Paul reminds us in this great section in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and his, his Magna Carta, if you will, that, that we are God's ambassadors. Do you remember this? And that God is actually making his appeal through us, the church, to the world. In other words, his final argument, if you will, is through your words and actions. His appeal to the world is now through you. Isn't that humbling? And it's amazing. And it puts everything in a new light, our jobs, our relationships, where we live. It frames all that up under this great purpose of bringing gospel renewal together. 
And then finally today, we're gonna talk about where. As we look at our purpose statement and we see these three things of, of, of who and, and what and now, and now where to our, to our city and to our world. And it begins right here, right where we are. And then it goes from here into this, this greater city that we live in and from this city to other cities and places all around the world, indeed to the very ends of the earth. The passage that we're gonna look at today and finish our series together is Jeremiah 29. It's a very familiar passage. We're gonna look specifically at verses four through seven. And if you have your scriptures, I wanna encourage you across all of our campuses to open them up this morning with me. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four through seven. Let me read it to you, the word of God to you today. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The bottom line today, the bottom line truth that I want each of you to take with you today is that the church, God's people, the church is God's plan to share God's purpose with all people. The church is God's plan to share God's purpose, Jesus, with all people in our own city and in cities across the world. Many of you know that in recent findings, there are over one million people in the greater Charlotte metro area who say they do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. People all across this city who will go to sleep tonight facing a Christless eternity. And God's number one plan for reaching each and every one of those men, women, and children across our city and indeed across the world is sitting in the room with you today. The church is God's plan to share his purpose, Jesus, with all of the world. In other words, what we said last week, told people do what? Tell people. Loved people love people. Out of the overflow in which God has loved you, it spills over in your love for other people all around you. And God has indeed entrusted us as stewards of the gospel in this city and all around the world. This is nothing new, friends. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, we see God's people being his chosen vessel to make himself known through all the world. In God's covenant with Abraham, we see the words of God to Abraham when he says, I'm gonna bless you, do you remember this? I'm gonna bless you, Abraham, and I'm gonna make your name great so that you can be great. Is that what he says? No, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna make your name great so that what? So that you can be a blessing to others. And he finishes this covenant by saying, in fact, all of the families of the earth are going to now be blessed through you, Abraham. And here's the incredible part of the Abrahamic covenant and promise. We're now a part of it. If you're a Christ follower, you are a part of that original promise that God made with Abraham. You're one of the stars in the heavens. You're one of the grains of sand on the seashore. 
as God made that promise to Abraham that all the families of the earth were going to be blessed through you. Now all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of Jesus and it's through the conduit of his people into the world. Jesus gives this same commission to his disciples. He continues by saying what? Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Share my purpose for all people. And then Paul continues this with all of his letters throughout the New Testament to the early church by saying, you are God's plan to share this great purpose of Jesus right where you're at. And we see this desire on display again here in Jeremiah 29. You may be familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, another verse in this passage, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and what else, to give you a, a hope. We, we love that verse and it's a wonderful verse. Many of you have that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, up in your house or on your refrigerator and you should leave it there. It's a wonderful verse. It's also one of the most misused verses in all of the Bible. And the reason why it's oftentimes misused is because it's pulled out of context. And whenever we pull a, a verse out of context, we can oftentimes misunderstand it or misuse it. So, so let me get a little bit further context for what we're reading here this morning, Jeremiah 29, specifically verses four through seven. This is all written in the context of a letter. Many of you know this. It's a letter from the prophet Jeremiah to the people of God, specifically the exiles who have been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Babylon is some four, uh, 800 miles away from Jerusalem. This is not a hop, skip, and a jump. This is not a, a walk. This is not, there's no car, there's no plane, there's no train that you can ride. This is walking every step of the way 800 miles away from home. And Babylon, of course, is Las Vegas times maybe 10 or 20 or 30. It's a wicked place. And it's led by a wicked, wicked man who desires nothing more than to spread his own self-indulgent empire all around the world. In fact, Babylon is but a picture of what we are left unto ourselves without Jesus. It's all about us and spreading our fame our notoriety and our selfishness. There's a young man that comes to Jerusalem and, and takes captives with him. He's 25 years old, he's a madman. He's serving at that time his, his king who was his own father. His name, you'll remember, is, is Nebuchadnezzar. He takes the first group of captives with him who are princes and leaders of, of um, Jerusalem. And if you want to destroy a city, if you want to destroy a nation, take its young leaders away from them. That's what Babylon would do. It would go take the best and the brightest from different places, different cities around, and bring them to Babylon to assimilate into that culture to become one of them. And in that way, not only did they increase their empire, but they destroyed the other empires and kingdoms and cities and peoples around them. Among those first captives was a young man who was 15 years old named Daniel. He would have read and heard these same words that you're hearing today from Jeremiah 29. Think about that. The very words that you're holding in your hands or you're watching on your phone today are the same words that the early captives, including Daniel, would have read. Again, these words are written by a prophet named Jeremiah who's speaking on behalf of God. A prophet's job was to hear from God and to take God's word and to speak it to God's people. A priest would take uh, sins and confessions from people and bring it to God. 
Jeremiah was a prophet. He was speaking on behalf of God. He was God's mouthpiece to God's people. And here are his words that you're reading today. And these are difficult words in that context, right? Because they're far from home. And when you're far from home and you're not eating your food and you're not sleeping in your bed and you're not with your friends and you're not going to your favorite coffee shop and there's no familiarity, what do you want to do? You just want to go home. And in fact, there were people among the people of God, the early captains, who were saying, we're going home. We're going home in two years. Go back to chapter 28. You can read it on your own this week. There was a false prophet by the name of Hananiah. And he was telling God's people, in two years, we're going back to Jerusalem, to our city. So you don't need to worry about this city. Just huddle up, stay safe. And then in two years, God's going to destroy this city and bring us back home. And God says, nope. Not going to do that at all. And he removes Hananiah from the face of the earth. And then he writes this letter to God's people. And he says these incredible words. And he reminds them that there's a bigger purpose behind everything that's going on. Oftentimes in our lives, all we can see is our own little story. And we forget that there's a much bigger story going on all around us, especially when our circumstances don't match what we believe to be God's purposes. Let me say that again. When our current circumstances don't match what we believe to be God's purposes for our life, for his plan for our lives individually, we oftentimes forget the heart of God. We forget that every single thing that happens in our lives has to be first sifted through the all-sovereign fingertips of God. And we begin to think that God's forgotten about us and that we're on our own. And some of you today may feel that way. In a relationship or a job or a circumstance or situation, you feel forgotten. You feel like God couldn't be in this. There's no way this could be a part of God's plan for my life. You feel stuck and you've forgotten that maybe, just maybe, God has you right where he wants you to be. And there's a bigger story. There's a greater purpose. And God wanted to remind his people that they are still his plan to share that purpose with all people in the world. Look at the text again. In verse four, God reminds his people and each of us, right where you are today, that he sent them there. I sent you. This would have been a shocking statement for the people of God to read in the middle of Babylon. How could God have sent us into this difficult situation? I thought this was all gonna be daisies and roses because we're God's people. Doesn't that mean that everything's gonna go great? And here we are in difficult circumstances, in a difficult situation, enslaved, captives. We don't want to be here. And yet God says, I'm the one that sent you there. Because there's something bigger that's going on than just your story. I can only see my float in the parade, but God can see the whole parade from start to finish. He can see every single bit of it. And he says, I sent you there. I sent you there for these people, for this city. And you know, God loves cities. Not because he enjoys all the sports or all the activities or everything cities have to offer. God loves cities, why? Because people live in cities. And God loves people. And specifically, Babylon represented this evil empire, this city that was the most powerful city during that time because Babylon was the most powerful empire in that time. And isn't it just like God to send his people right to that influential city to make a difference in that place? But it didn't feel that way to God's people. It didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel safe. 
And oftentimes God's purposes don't feel comfortable or safe. God doesn't promise us easy. Listen to this, friends. In your life today, God doesn't promise us easy. But he does promise us himself. I find it interesting that the two most formative events in the history of God's people, Israel, were exile, Babylonian exile, and Egypt. Egypt and exile were the two most formative events in the people of God's history. He used those very difficult moments to shape them and to form them into the people that he wanted them to be and to use them to share his kingdom of the one true God all around the world. The most influential empire at the time, Egypt, and the most influential empire at the time, Babylon. God sends his people right there to make a difference right in that place. And maybe, just maybe, he's doing the same with us today. I sent you there, God reminds them. But secondly, he says, verses five and six, I want you to establish yourself in this place. Look at the scriptures again in some of these verbs. Build, live, plant, eat, take wives and sons and daughters for your wives. Uh, multiply there, do not decrease. These are incredible statements that God is making to his people. In other words, he's saying, you're going to be here because this is exactly where I've sent you. I have a greater purpose for you here. So stop renting that apartment and buy a house. Stop working on your escape plan and recognize that God has a plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That is absolutely true. But everybody watch this, okay? God's individual plans for your life are always, always, always always going to be connected to God's purposes for all of life and people. And when we try to separate God's individual plan for me apart from his greater purposes, we miss him. And things get really weird for us. Stop working on your escape plan and recognize that God has a plan. It's so easy to work on our escape plans when we're in difficult circumstances and situations. Where is the exit? How can I get out of this? Most of us spend our lives trying to mitigate pain from our hearts and our lives. And yet God oftentimes uses difficulty and pain and all of those things to bring us closer to him. He says, invest in the city. In other words, he's, he's picking up as a forerunner on these words that Jesus would give after the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five when he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Do you remember this? You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You have a purpose here. This goes back and reminds us of Augustine's great work, uh, The City of God, when he says the city of God, which represents the people of God, has to interact and influence the city of man, the world. It's our purpose. So Jeremiah reminds God's people, establish yourself here. In other words, bloom where you've been planted by God today. And I'm not sure how that impacts you or hits your heart, but I know that that was God's word to them. And maybe, just maybe, it's God's word to you today. And then finally, verse seven, Jeremiah says, I want you to, and, and again, put yourself in the context of the people of God and the difficulty of their circumstance. And Jeremiah says, on behalf of God, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. What city? Babylon, 
the very people that took us away from our homes and our families. Listen, Daniel never went home. He dies in captivity. He never sees his family again. He never gets to go back to Jerusalem and worship in the temple again. This is incredibly painful. And yet yet God says in the midst of that, there's still a greater purpose in your pain. There's something incredible that I have for you, Daniel and Daniels, in the city right where you are. And it starts by seeking their welfare. The word welfare in the Hebrew is, of course, the word shalom. And shalom is not just the secession of conflict. Shalom has with it the connotation of a a complete and utter wholeness of a person. Mentally, physically, relationally, spiritually. It's the restoration completely of a person as they're meant to be. Shalom, this wonderful word. Paul reminds us that our shalom, our complete wholeness, spiritually, mentally, physically, as a person, our complete wholeness is only found through Jesus. He says to the Romans, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The shalom that we have to offer to our city is Jesus the one who came to make shalom with the world through his great sacrifice. And that's all we have to give to the world, isn't it? And that's enough, the shalom of Jesus. And he continues by saying, I want you to pray to the Lord on their behalf. I want you to pray for your captives. I want you to pray for the people that have ruined your life. I want you to pray for people who are annoying you. I want you to pray for people that are bothering you, who are messing with you. Pray for those people. Pray to the Lord on their behalf, for in their welfare you will find what? Your welfare. You'll find your completeness. You'll find, in other words, your purpose of why you're here. So so many of us walk around going, why? Why, God? Why this? Why that? And I don't have the answer to every single one of your individual whys, and I don't have the answer to all of my why questions, but I do have this. I've got Jesus. I've got the peace of Jesus. And God says, as you seek this city's peace, you'll find your own peace, your own completeness, your own wholeness. Listen, gang, it's difficult to hate someone that you're praying for. It's difficult to hate someone you're praying for. It would have been very easy for that group of people, the people of God, to harbor all kinds of resentment and hatred towards their captives. And many of them rightly so. We would have said, that's right. And God says, pray for them. Because when you pray for someone, we could do a whole series on this and maybe we will. When you pray for someone, What's busy happening in your own heart is that God is reorienting your heart towards that purpose and his purposes for that person. That's that's what's happening here. God knows that if his people will pray for that people, that their hearts will be softened and they'll, they'll live missionally among them. Here's the truth. You can't have Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, unless you also take with it Jeremiah 29, verses four through seven. You can't know God's plans for your individual lives unless you're able to wrap your heart around God's purpose for all of life and for all people. 
So put your focus on Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, and put your trust in the God of Jeremiah 29, 11. The truth is, this city is not our home, is it? Paul says we are but exiles in this world. Our citizenship is not here. God is preparing a place for us, a forever home, a new city, a new Jerusalem. But until that day comes, we are, we are a community of Christ followers that's bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. And so we may not be putting a man on the moon, and that's probably a good thing that we're not. But you know what we are doing? Working together with him, we are helping by God's grace to put people back into right relationship with God through the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, because God's people, the church, is God's plan to share God's purpose, Jesus, with all people. We should see today as the beginning of something new. Something new that was formed from two wonderful expressions of God's plan, his church in the world. Church at Charlotte and New Charlotte have been incredible churches and have served this city and world in incredible ways. We still have some blending to do between the two. We'll continue to work on that. But the blending has happened We are one now, and it's time for us to begin together as one new church. Church at Charlotte and New Charlotte. will always be a part of who we are. They'll always be a part of our story. We'll always share stories about what God has done, and we should share stories about what God has done through both of these churches and the incredible grace that he's given to us in our city. But it's time to be one church, to have one name and to move forward together. One of the things that I've shared with our staff over the last several months is that we wanna be past honoring and forward focused. Past honoring and forward focused. We wanna honor what God has done in the past, remember and tell stories, but we wanna set our sights on the future and the things that God still has for us to do in this city and around the world. Remember that God did something new to reach each and every one of you. God did something new to reach each and every one of you. He sent his son Jesus and did something new in this world to stand in the gap between us and God. Our naming process for this new church, I want you to know, has been no small task. It's involved over 30 people from both Church at Charlotte and New Charlotte. It's involved people from each campus, South Park, Matthews East, Matthews West, men and women, some seasoned folks and some younger folks, some people inside our, our church, of course, leaders in our church, but also some people outside of our church who don't attend here who are able to speak into the process. We started working on the name back in the summer of 2018. Brainstorming and word clouds, analytic reviews, group think sessions, whiteboards, lots of fun. We narrowed the list to a list of 35 names. (laughs) 
Yes. And we went from there to a, a top five list. Then we narrowed even further, of course, and we did that by taking a blind survey vote among our leaders. And I want you to know that the name that we chose was the name that was number one on every single one's per- person's list who took that blind survey vote. We sat on that name for about four to six weeks. We wanted it to be warm outside, cold outside, cloudy, sunny, <laughs> and to sit with it, which is a great thing to do for decisions that you're praying through, to let it sit and to see how you wake up on different days feeling about it. And we did that for four to six weeks. Then we brought that name to our elder board and we allowed them to process and give feedback on it. And I wanna take just a moment, I could talk for a long time, but I don't have a long time, but I wanna just take a, a few moments and thank all of our elders who have been a part of this process from day one. It has been almost 18 months that our two elder boards have been working together. And these 14 men have worked tirelessly. I'm not gonna call all of their names, but I'm incredibly grateful uh, forever to each of them. And we're, we're really, really thankful as a church. So our elder team gave feedback. We took that feedback and we set on the name for another month and waited. And then we knew we had our name. Our name is Purpose Driven. I want you to hear this before I I say it and put it up on the screens because I know you won't listen to anything else after I put it up there. (laughs) Our name is, is Purpose Driven. We wanted the name to speak our purpose. Now there's 13 words in our purpose statement, so it's not a 13 word name. But each of the name, uh, words in the name really point us back to our, our sole purpose of bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. We didn't want our name to have geographical boundaries, meaning uh, both uh, previous church names have carried the name Charlotte. We love Charlotte. Um, but we didn't want it to be a, a limiter just to Charlotte proper or metro. Some of you are from uh, Rock Hill and Fort Mill and different places around the metro area. Some people describe themselves as being from Charlotte, even though they live in different principalities, municipalities, and some people are very proud that they don't live in Charlotte. And so we wanted to make sure that uh, we were able to expand and, um, and wouldn't have a, a boundary with our name. We wanted the name to be theologically sound and, of course, rooted in the scriptures. It's interesting, really quickly, uh, when Jen and I got together with Susie and Jimmy to record some videos to to talk about the blending of the two churches, uh, we were praying over some scriptures. Uh, Jimmy was uh, thinking about Isaiah 43, where Isaiah writes, Behold, I'm doing a new thing among you. Do you not perceive it? Now it even springs forth. Um, I was thinking about Isaiah 42, a chapter before where Isaiah says, I'm doing a new thing and I'm giving you a new song to sing the praises of God to the ends of the earth. Another passage that was really important for us as a team in thinking about this is uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just read a couple of verses really quickly, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. You'll remember this passage. Uh, This this chapter is known as the, the hall of faith, if you will. By, Ab- by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The Bible begins in a garden. The Bible ends in a city. We wanted the name to be a connecting name that was memorable and and pithy. And when you told people the name, it was something that you could say easily and that people could remember and be invited into. 
Our brand and logo was born out of the same process. Many, many people spoke into this, guys. I want you to hear that. Uh, We wanted it to be simple. We wanted it to be bold. We wanted it to be powerful and also purposeful. We wanted to incorporate fresh and new colors, but we wanted them to be from the same family of colors that were from the two previous churches. So the three colors that you're going to see represented here um, are bright teal, warm green, and ocean navy. They are new colors, but they're out of the same family of colors that were represented in Church at Charlotte and New Charlotte. We chose uh, a bold and simple and clear font to make it easily readable and recognizable. And we wanted the mark to be recognizable as well and distinct and something that could serve us for years to come. Okay, you ready? Okay, so this is us. This is us. New City Church is the name of our church. And let me say a few things about what you're seeing. Um, You'll see brilliant till on the left, warm green on the right, a bold font. Uh, But also a couple other things. This is actually a lowercase n, an artistic lowercase n, uh, that's made of building shapes for a city. So new city. It's also our team, for those of you who are right-brained and more abstract, we see a door that's inviting people in and sending people out. We also see a tomb that's empty. On the left-hand side, the tomb, and on the right, the shaped piece being the stone that's been rolled away couple other things here to see. Uh, Within the mark itself, we can do all kinds of different things. This is shown here with geometric shapes on the inside of it, which is pretty neat. This is the brilliant teal color that you see in the mark on the left-hand side, and this is the warm green. So kind of a home jersey, away jersey, alternate (laughs) uniform. This is a metallic on on an outside exterior, what it could look like. These are just some applications, letterhead, notebooks, different things that we'll use it for. Here it is on a banner. And you'll see the the mark actually represented here. This is one of the things that we loved about it, that when you turn the mark upside down and invert it, it forms a, a beautiful cross. And we love that and we'll use that application several different places. So this is us, New City Church, a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you for doing something new to reach each of us, to transform us into the people you've called us to be, and by your grace to use us in incredible ways in this city and in cities around the world. Today we wanna dedicate New City Church to your glory because it's always been about you, Jesus. We wanna give you a lot of glory and we wanna demonstrate and proclaim the gospel to so many people here in our city and around the world. Would you give us the wisdom as we move forward to know what you're calling us to, to become one church and give us the faith and the courage day by day to listen and to obey. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we ask and pray all of this, amen.